0: Going on True Crime fans. I'm your host Teeth and I'm your host Daphne and you're listening to Going West.
1: Hello everybody. Big thank you to Stacy for recommending today's case. This case is very unique from others that we've covered, even though it does have some similar elements to, like, other young women's disappearances. But this case has so many eerie details and some interesting avenues that I haven't really seen before in any of our other episodes. So, like, it is truly a baffling story.
0: Yeah, so thank you so much, Stacy, for sharing Carla's case with us so that we can share it with all of you.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's all we've got.
0: All right, guys, this is episode 380 of Going West. So let's get into it.
1: A 22-year-old Brazilian woman was last seen leaving a New Jersey bar with an unknown man. Days later, someone close to her received a mysterious phone call with the person on the other line screaming for help. But was this the missing woman? And does someone in her small U.S. circle know what happened to her? is the story of Carla Vicentini. Carla Vicentini was born on April 29, 1983 in Goyoeira Parana, Brazil. Goyoyera is a small city of about 25,000 people in the southern state of Paraná, just over the border of Paraguay. Carla was the oldest of three daughters, born to parents Tanya and Orlando, with her mom Tanya working as an analyst at a consulting firm, and her father Orlando working as an accountant, which will come up a little bit later. So Carla's family described her as gregarious and bright and said that she had a voracious desire for education. In 2006, 22-year-old Carla was nearing the end of her studies at the State University of Moringa in Goyera. And there, Carla's concentration was textile engineering, which is the study of designing and crafting fabrics from raw materials. And though she had educational and career aspirations at home, her dreams took her farther away. For years, she yearned to study abroad in the United States, longing for adventure and desiring to learn English. And in January of 2006, during her final semester of college, Carla had finally saved up enough money to achieve this goal. She was able to obtain a work exchange visa through the World Study Intercultural Education Agency, which helps students travel abroad. And for a hefty fee, the agency handled the legalities of her visa and also sorted out her flights, employment, housing and health insurance for the duration of her stay, which would be four months as it's the longest possible stay for a student work exchange visa. Her parents later admitted that they were wary of allowing her to embark upon this journey alone and that her mom, Tanya, had tried to convince her to finish college first. But Tanya admitted, quote, There is no mother in the world who can stop a child from fulfilling her wishes. When I realized that there was no way, of course I supported her in the project. So on January 18th, 2006, Carla's parents took her to the airport, bidding her farewell with a proper send-off. She took with her a stuffed frog to keep her company, which is visible in all the pictures they took together saying goodbye, for what they didn't know would be the last time.
0: En route to New Jersey, where Carla was assigned, she met another Brazilian student who was also completing the program. And her name is Maria Eduardo Heberu. The two became fast friends and wound up staying in the same motel room together. But from the very beginning, the trip just wasn't what the girls had hoped for. Carla and Maria were placed in a motel room with two other young women in the program, and the quarters were cramped and extremely run down. The girls were renting a room at the Roxbury Motel in Ledgewood, New Jersey, which is about an hour northwest of New York City. To the benefit of the visa company, was a very cheap spot to stay and still almost 20 years later totals to only about 50 dollars a night so that kind of gives you a better idea of the quality or the lack of exactly yes the lack of but the girls were very uncomfortable in such close quarters not to mention disappointed with the very dilapidated state of the accommodations the motel which is still operational today boasts just a 1.5 star rating on tripadvisor and reviews report bugs decay and a layer of grime on the inside as well as the outside one commenter reported quote seedy people coming and going and another cited frequent drug use among guests needless to say carla felt neither safe nor content in her new surroundings and the american dream as she pictured seemed to be slipping away from her in addition to her new living space Carla was assigned to work at a White Castle fast food restaurant in nearby Dover, New Jersey, which is about 10 minutes east from the motel. And the restaurant sought to hire undocumented citizens for periods of time to, you know, save on labor costs. Reports claim that Carla told her family that she was also unhappy with the treatment that she received at her job, with menial pay and poor working conditions. But with limited money and mobility, and speaking very little English, she really didn't have any other options. So Carla's trip was slowly dissolving into a nightmare.
1: Carla and Maria agreed that they needed to get out of the motel in Ledgewood and found a better housing arrangement as well as better jobs. Maria later said in a statement, quote, The job in Dover was not what we expected. We left in search of other working conditions. So on a whim, the girls quit their jobs and moved to Newark, New Jersey, which is a much larger and more desirable area situated along the Passaic River, and it's just west of Manhattan. So the girls now had New York City in their backyard and found themselves among far more opportunities than they'd had in the smaller, quieter community of Ledgewood. Newark also had a taste of home for Carla and Maria because Newark, New Jersey offers one of the highest concentrations of Brazilian immigrants in the United States, accounting for about 2% of the population. So this was a huge relief for Carla and Maria, who could have some of the comforts of home and they were also able to speak their native tongue with the locals, no longer fearing what was lost in translation as they began learning English. The girls settled in the ironbound neighborhood of Newark, which was known as Little Brazil, so it was perfect for them. Now, the living quarters were still pretty tight, with Carla and Maria sharing a small apartment with a man in his 70s named Jose Fernandez, who had also moved from Brazil. But they were able to secure a deal on the living situation because Jose apparently had a debt to settle with Carla's father, Orlando. Orlando, who, as I mentioned, ran a successful accounting firm in Guayera, had apparently done the accounting for a gas station that Jose owned. So this seemed as fair a deal as any in order to get Carla and Maria out of their problematic living situation, so the girls took him up on it. Carla found work at Mediterranean Manor, which is a banquet hall, and Maria started working as a server at Adega Grill, which is a Portuguese restaurant located on Ferry Street in Newark, just blocks from their apartment. And just as a little FYI, the two restaurants were only about a five-minute walk apart from each other, and they both remain operational to this day. So it was super easy for them to just stroll to work from this new apartment.
0: The girls moved into Jose's apartment in the first week of February. And just a few days later, Carla was gone. Tanya, whom Carla called on a daily basis, claims that things were turning around for her daughter, saying, I spoke to her every day until the day that she disappeared. She was happy and dying for me to come visit her. She never tired of thanking God for having the opportunity to make her dream come true. Carla was feeling more comfortable navigating a new city when more people around her spoke Portuguese, and her living quarters were nicer and a lot more private. Working at a proper restaurant instead of a fast food chain was more fulfilling for her as well, and her employees were more respectful of Carla and her time. And now the girls were positioned a lot closer to the excitement of Manhattan. Thursday, February 9th, 2006 was a chilly winter day, hovering around 30 degrees Fahrenheit or about negative one degrees Celsius. So obviously, it was pretty cold. Carla finished up her shift at Mediterranean Manor and walked the five minutes to the Adega Grill, again, where Maria was working as a cocktail waitress. She arrived around 10.30 p.m. and sat at the bar for a drink. And here's where the witness statements and timeline become a little bit complicated. Now, one source claims that Carla hung out at the bar for a bit then walked back to their apartment to change out of her work clothes, coming back a little while later. Others state that she wasn't actually seen walking home until hours later. But either way, Maria reported that Carla seemed intoxicated, even claiming that she had been drinking to the point of vomiting. Whether she had been drinking before she came into Adega or not is still unknown though. Another inconsistency is who Carla was last seen with at the bar. Some sources claim that there were two men chatting with her in the hours leading up to her disappearance, and some claim that it was only one person. The man that she was later seen leaving with is described as a stocky white man standing about 5 feet 9 inches tall and weighing around 200 pounds. He's believed to have been in his 30s, and he had blue eyes, salt and pepper colored hair, and a short beard, and he was wearing a black t-shirt. Maria called him quiet and strange, and recalled that his name may have been Antonio. As with all the details in this case, his description also varies, with one depiction claiming that he actually had red hair, which is very different from salt and pepper.
1: It's unclear why or how their conversation began, as Maria claimed that this man didn't speak any Portuguese, and Carla spoke very little English. But early in the morning of February 10, 2006, Carla told Maria that she was leaving with the man, which both puzzled and alarmed Maria. By her recollection, quote, she told me that she was going to go out with this guy and that later she would go home, that in 10 minutes at most, she would be home and open the door for me to come in. I tried to talk to the guy. He didn't speak a word of Portuguese and she didn't speak a word of English. She had no papers, no money, nothing. Now at this point, which was around 2.30 a.m., Carla claimed that she was going outside with the man to his car to, quote, view a photograph, though everybody, including Maria, are now left to wonder what the hell that even means. Before Carla left with this unknown man, she passed a piece of paper to Maria's manager, though some sources claim that it was passed directly to Maria herself, that allegedly had a name and phone number written on it. Sadly, Maria misplaced that piece of paper that night and couldn't recall what it said, which definitely could have helped the investigation, but we will never know. And that was the last time Maria ever saw her new friend. Carla borrowed Maria's keys, as it's possible they only had one set, and walked out with this unknown man vowing to be home very soon. But after Maria closed down the restaurant for the night and returned home a very short while later, she realized that Carla hadn't come back. And because Maria didn't have her key, it's assumed that Jose let her into the apartment, but we have no idea how she got in and I'm gonna bring that up a little later too. But Maria was obviously alarmed to find that Carla still hadn't made it home. And as the hours wore on, she became increasingly more worried about Carla's whereabouts, knowing that she had been drinking and left with an unidentified man. But one of the most eerie details of this case is that some of Carla's belongings had made it home that night even though she didn't. Now, back in the
0: apartment, Maria allegedly found her friend's blue Hugo Boss brand coat, her passport, her work clothes, and her wallet. If we're to believe that she actually walked back to the apartment after her shift at Mediterranean Manor and then returned to Adega afterward, it makes sense that she left her work clothes behind. But it was freezing cold that night and snowed heavily in the days following. So the fact that she had left without a coat points to Carla potentially being forcibly removed from the apartment, or perhaps never leaving it alive. Most sources report that even if she had gone back to her apartment to change out of her work clothes, she had the rest of her items, her wallet, passport, and coat with her until she departed the bar around 2.30 a.m. that morning. That meant that Carla actually had made it back home safely and then left again, or worse, been taken against her will. Maria was the one who reported her friend missing and later called her family back in Brazil to deliver the shocking and saddening news that just around three weeks after arriving to the United States, 22-year-old Carla had just disappeared. The following days brought heavy snow, along with chaos and confusion. And Maria was the only one with her boots on the ground, and felt like she was fighting on her own for Carla's case to be taken seriously. Especially because Carla's family was in a different country, and no one else in the entire U.S. really knew her at all. With limited English and few resources, she felt her friend slipping away. Tanya, who is Carla's mom, remembers the sense of helplessness that she felt in the early days of Carla's disappearance, saying, quote, Carla called me every day, sometimes more than once, just to tell me that she loved me. The day that she disappeared, she called me in the morning and then didn't call again. When I answered Maria's call, I was confused and didn't know what to do. As it was snowing heavily, I even thought Carla was unable to return home, but I felt that Maria was scared. I couldn't help her. I could only beg her to do everything to find my daughter.
1: which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, just visit Juvederm.com. My absolute favorite app is Audible, because not only do they have thousands of incredible podcasts, including ours, but they also have an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre. Like from celebrity memoirs, to motivation, to business, to my favorite, mysteries and thrillers. Audible really is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment, with highly anticipated new releases that can include eerie soundscapes, captivating sound design, and dynamic performances. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Right now, I'm listening to this unputdownable thriller fiction called Just Another Missing Person by Jillian McAllister, which I think you guys would love. To try
0: Audible free for 30 days, visit audible.com slash going west or text going west to 500-500.
1: That's audible.com slash going west or text going west to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Looking to save on delivery? DashPass is your door to $0 delivery fees and more on DoorDash. And right now, using code GOINGWEST24, you can get 50% off up to $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. Subject to change, terms apply.
0: Daphne and I use DoorDash constantly to order lunch or dinner or even groceries. And that's why we love using our DashPass. Because it's the most affordable way to get anything in your area delivered right to your door.
1: I mean, come on. DashPass pays for itself in two orders on average, making delivery even more worth it. And that's why we use it so often. And it also gives you special access to exclusive promotions and member-only menu items, all for just $9.99 a month.
0: Get more from delivery for less. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash.
1: Use code GOINGWEST24 to get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. Subject to change, terms apply. Because Carla was from a foreign country and her only advocate was a young woman who had a limited understanding of English, the case stalled almost immediately, and her loved ones were critical of the lack of priority given to the investigation in the onset of Carla's disappearance. The Newark Police Major Crime Squad, who specialize in cases of abduction and human trafficking, took up the investigation and two detectives who spoke fluent Portuguese were assigned to be liaisons to Carla's family as well as to Maria and the few people that Carla had met in Newark, just hoping that they could be of service as the last people that she interacted with before she disappeared. The police began circulating missing posters and attempted to talk to those who lived and worked in the vicinity and anyone who had been at or near the Adega Grill that night. However, they hit their first of many setbacks when few people were willing to be questioned in regard to the disappearance because they were concerned that their status as undocumented workers and residents would land them in trouble with the government. So it just didn't feel like anybody that they talked to who was there that night could actually help them and glean any new information about where she could be. So that was just a very unfortunate piece of the story. But police did put forth a reward of $2,000, which was later raised to $5,000 by a concerned donor. In the days of chaos following her disappearance, police pulled the closed circuit footage or CCTV footage from the Adega Grill that night. But strangely, Carla is never seen on the tapes. Whether this is by accident or a glitch or by design is hard to say, but Tanya feels that it was contrived that someone at the Adega Grill, perhaps an employee, knew more than they were willing to divulge and to protect their own best interest, edited any of Carla's appearances out of the tape. Though newspapers and outlets based in Brazil reported heavily on the case, Carla's disappearance came and went without much attention in the States, which is where the news on her story mattered the most. So it just didn't feel like anybody was coming in with information to help and nobody was really talking about her story. And because of all the language barriers as well, it just felt like we have nothing and we're trying, but we're not trying hard enough.
0: It's really interesting that This girl that's from a different country, she goes missing in the U.S. And the only people, really, that give a shit are the people of Brazil. They're the only people talking about it. They're they're the only people doing news coverage on the case. But nobody in the U.S. is talking about it or, like, really investigating it at this point. But then came another unsettling detail in Carla's disappearance. Several days after she went missing her boss received a chilling phone call from an unknown number. Her boss reported picking up the phone to hear a woman screaming on the other end, but the line quickly went dead. Despite reporting it to the police, repeated attempts to track the call to its origin proved to be unsuccessful. Now, it is worth noting that several sources have reported that the call actually came to Jose's phone, not her boss's phone, which are two very, very different people. So I don't know why this isn't clear.
1: Yeah, I don't know how that could get confused because they're two different people. And then it just makes I feel like it makes a big difference who received this call, because if it's from an unknown number, did, um, you know, did Carla have her phone on her and they got either of these numbers that way? Or is whoever took Carla connected to the boss or Jose? Like, this really matters who this call came into.
0: 100%. And one source even claimed that Jose spoke with the FBI about this phone call and that he had received as many as five from this same source. Oddly, this news outlet also reported that Jose inexplicably waited months to report the phone calls to the police. So we don't really know why he didn't report it earlier.
1: Suspicious.
0: So in addition to the ominous, untraceable calls, police in Newark received an anonymous tip claiming that Carla was being held against her will at a motel in Honesdale, Pennsylvania, which is 97 miles or 156 kilometers southwest from where she disappeared. And Honesdale is a very quaint town in the rural Pocono Mountains, so it feels kind of random that this tip is coming in, but the tip also included the detail that she was being detained in a room or apartment numbered 12 h though the address was not included in the tip so newark police teamed up with the honesdale police to scour the community of about 4,000 people desperately seeking any sign of carla but after doing some investigating they found nothing
1: and i am really glad that the newark police did try they they took this tip seriously as they did with many of the tips that came in And I think it's difficult because there still is a lot of information that has not been released publicly. So they could have a lot of interesting details that we don't. So, you know, no shade to them. It looks like they are following up on things, but what a strange tip to come in. It just makes me wonder if she was ever there at all, or if this was, you know, a ruse or what this tip is about.
0: Well, a few witnesses who had been willing to speak with investigators also placed Carla on the street after leaving the bar walking between the Adega Grill, which is located at 130 Ferry Street, and the apartment complex in which the girls were living, which was just a few blocks away, also on Ferry Street. Another witness claimed to see her getting into a car with a man, though it's unclear if it was the man that she had been talking to at the Adega Grill or somebody else. And it's also not mentioned if this was near the restaurant or near her apartment.
1: And it was probably impossible to figure out if this guy that you're talking about is the same one that she was seen leaving with from the Adega Grill because there's at least two different descriptions of the guy that she left with from the Adega Grill. So
0: yeah and nobody can apparently pinpoint where she had last been seen you know getting into this man's car. So as her parents clamored for any piece of information that they could glean from Maria and the local police force, Carla's boyfriend, Thiago, came forward with a shocking new piece of intel from back home in Goyaera. According to Thiago, he had gotten a frantic phone call from Carla in which she was sobbing and claiming that her landlord slash roommate, José, had touched her inappropriately. Now, Thiago claimed that she couldn't stop crying and told him that she needed to move out as soon as possible. Carla called him to tell him this the day before she disappeared and had apparently already found a new place to live, planning on vacating Jose's apartment in just four days. And here's one thing I wanted to say about this. What would be the reason for Tiago to lie about this? Well, I don't think
1: he did or, or would.
0: Right? I mean, it just, it seems like this is pretty credible.
1: Well, let's talk more about Jose. So Jose was questioned in regards to her disappearance, but claimed that he had been asleep for the whole ordeal. Remember this. He says he was sleeping that whole night and that he went to bed long before she is believed to have returned to the apartment to drop off her things and said that he woke up later that morning when she had already been gone for hours. So this just makes me wonder even more if Jose did open or unlock the door for Maria when she got home because being able to prove that he was home would definitely be helpful, but we also can't look past the fact that Carla's belongings were at the apartment and she disappeared after getting home. Like, did this American man simply Walk her home or drive her home and then split and she was met with foul play in the apartment was Jose. Like maybe she rejected his inappropriate advances and it escalated. And did these strange calls even happen if they did come in to Jose? Like, that is such an eerie part of the case to me, but the only person who apparently heard them. Was Jose, or I guess her boss, but it does seem to me like they came into Jose. So, was this some kind of red herring to point blame away from him? Like, I don't know. It's all so weird to me, especially as well since Jose knew Carla's dad and was also from Brazil. So, they had this other connection and history coupled with what her boyfriend, Thiago, said. Like, he's just looking really suspicious to me.
0: Well, because there's so much misinformation about the details about this case, you know, regarding the phone calls and whatnot. The only thing that I find extremely credible would be Carla's boyfriend, because, again, he would have no reason to lie about this. Like, why would he lie about his girlfriend telling him that her landlord is touching her inappropriately? I just don't see why. Um, but yeah, he, he does look very suspicious at this point and he's going to look even more suspicious here in a second.
1: He really is. So Carla's parents, Tanya and Orlando did what they could from nearly 5,000 miles or 8,000 kilometers away. They pleaded with local investigators for information, but they were just told that the police were doing all they could. So what they could do, the parents, what they could do, they appealed with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Brazil, but were informed that there was little that Brazilian officers could do from so far away. Now, as I mentioned about José talking to the FBI about those phone calls, so the FBI did become involved, offering a sizable reward of $20,000 for information, but even that couldn't bring forth any more info about what had happened to Carla. Strangely, José traveled back to Brazil just four days after her disappearance and was reportedly uncooperative with both the police investigation and the desperate pleas for information from her parents. So is it a coincidence that he went home so quickly or was he trying to leave the situation? Well, Carla's parents then appealed with the Brazilian Senate for their assistance and José Fernández was forced to testify in front of a grand jury to relay the events of the night that Carla disappeared. And this time his story changed saying that he woke up when two men brought Carla to the apartment around 3 a.m. He then claimed that he heard her exit the apartment again a short time later, assuming she had left with the men. But... That was not what he had told the police department when he was initially questioned, having feigned ignorance and telling them that he hadn't seen or heard anything on the night that she vanished because he was asleep. And I just don't see how right after this happens, you say that you didn't see anything and then you remember later that you did. Like, if anything, it would be the other way around. This man is so sus to me. Yeah, it's.
0: It's always very suspicious when a story changes, especially like this isn't this isn't that like crazy of a detail. It's like did you see somebody come into the apartment or were you asleep? It's one or the other. Like you can't, you know, there's no in between here.
1: I also have to say with with other people having said that she was seen with two men, that she was seen with one man, this information could have gotten back to Jose, and I also think about the fact that he's saying, "Oh, I heard her coming into the apartment with a couple men and then she left so I assume she left with these men again this is a new piece of the story of his story his perspective and he is now pointing blame to somebody else saying well there was a couple men that she was with so they must have been the ones to do something to her not me
0: well looking back at this interaction between her and this guy at the bar that also seems suspicious to me you know But the fact that her clothes and her wallet and her belongings made it back to that apartment lets us know that she had to have gone back to the apartment at some point, whether she left with this guy, this guy that she was talking to at the bar, or whether Jose did something.
1: Exactly. But somehow, according to investigators, Jose was ruled out as a suspect, but they did not share why they believed he was not involved, if they were able to concretely prove that, or if they just let him go as a suspect for whatever reason. But he was never brought up on charges for sexually assaulting Carla either, though Orlando accused him publicly of such, and Jose replied by suing him for harassment. According to Tanya, Jose is now deceased, so if he did have any information regarding what happened to her, we may never know what that is. Maria was also ruled out as a suspect, and following her time in New Jersey, she eventually relocated to the West Coast and then moved back to Brazil.
0: Weeks turned to months, and still, the Vicentinis waited for any sign of their lost daughter. In the immediate aftermath of Carla's disappearance, Orlando attempted to travel to Newark to search for her, but his visa was denied, which is obviously so sad that he doesn't even have the ability to travel to the US to look for his missing daughter.
1: Yeah, I cannot imagine how just helpless and frustrated her parents felt and her family felt in those first couple months.
0: Yeah, because it wasn't until May of 2006 that Tanya was able to go, which was about three months after Carla vanished, But when she arrived, she spoke with investigators, passed out missing persons flyers, and retraced her daughter's steps. Alas, she came home to Brazil empty-handed. Frustrated, she said of her time in Newark, quote, "'Unfortunately, Brazilian women are not well-liked in the United States. I lived through this. It's not a lie. They think they go there to be call girls. The police were considering the hypothesis that Carla had been enslaved in a criminal prostitution ring, But imagine, she didn't go there for that purpose. Even if she was in a situation like that, can't the police get into that network? She recalls seeing her husband falling into a depression as the realization set in that Carla may not be coming home. Tanya claimed that he was, quote, paralyzed with grief and that he couldn't bear to talk about Carla or what had happened to her. Tanya remembered sadly, quote, the police would find a body and call me, I would spend two, three days talking to them, trying to reach a conclusion. In the end, the girl had one more tattoo or one less, or a sign that indicated that she was not my daughter. Several blood tests from my husband and myself were sent there in an attempt to help recognize the corpse. We kept waiting for the result in front of a distant body. I buried many girls with the same physical characteristics as Carla. I cried for all of them. For years, the family was stagnant. She remembers her two younger daughters being fearful and clinging to her after Carla vanished, afraid to leave her side. She recalls a home full of love leading up to the disappearance, saying that, quote, Our house was happy. We had parties for everything. But after the disappearance, I don't even have the strength to celebrate Christmas. The most difficult day for the family has been her birthday. In April of 2007, coming up on Carla's first birthday since her disappearance, Tanya explained, quote, I told my family and friends, don't remind me it's her birthday. This month has a 28th and a 30th, but no 29th. I'll only remember that day when I have her back.
1: Though the family still mourns the horrific loss, they've done their very best to move through it. Tanya and Orlando have multiple grandchildren now, and their lives are filled with loving them and spending quality time with them and their two other daughters. For years, Tanya entertained the idea that Carla was being held somewhere against her will, and although that was a terrifying reality or thought, it would mean that her daughter was still alive. In an interview 10 years after her daughter's disappearance in 2016, she said, quote, "'Today, calmer and with my feet on the ground,' I don't know why, something gives me the hope of a miracle happening. I see so many crazy cases of girls who remain alive for decades in captivity and this, despite being horrible, gives me hope. Turning over pain makes wounds bleed and pain is inevitable. This will not change the situation we're experiencing at all, since everything happened in the United States." Here we can do nothing or rather everything that could be done with the Brazilian authorities. I can't tell you if this hope of mine is a survival tactic. Maybe it's more of a force in me that tells me to believe and trust. Due to the language barrier, the unclear timelines, the lack of reliable sources or information, and the sheer amount of time that has passed. It's difficult to even speculate about the outcome, and it's becoming more and more unlikely that Carla's case will ever see a resolution, but we desperately hope it will because somebody knows something.
0: However, now, nearly 20 years since her daughter was taken away from them, Tanya says that she has come to be at peace with the likelihood that she is no longer alive, and that they may never know what became of her. But she still holds out hope that she will find answers and justice for her daughter, and that the guilty parties will be held accountable. Tanya said mournfully, quote, "'My mother's heart says that she is dead, but my mind won't let me give up looking for her, to go to the end of the story. In a way, I would rather receive the body than stay in this expectation.'" She added that regardless of her situation, she believes that Carla would have reached out to her family and let them know that she was alive by this time. Tanya added, quote, I think that Carla isn't alive because she would never stay more than two days without contacting the family. Someone destroyed her dream. Carla stood at about five feet, seven inches tall and weighed around 140 pounds. She had blonde hair and brown eyes. She sported multiple body piercings, including her ears, tongue, and belly button. She also had multiple tattoos, which included a gray angel on her back, a tribal tattoo on her lower back, and a red and yellow chameleon on her left hip. At the time of her disappearance, she was wearing a white tank top, a blue Hugo Boss brand jacket, blue or white jeans, light brown high-heeled ankle boots, a silver ball in her navel, a silver ball in her tongue, a More My brand sports watch on her left wrist, a large silver ring on her ring finger, and two silver rope necklaces, one of which held a pendant. She would be turning 41 this year. The FBI is offering a reward of up to $20,000 for information leading to an arrest. So if you have any information about the disappearance of Carla Vicentini, please contact your local FBI office or the nearest American embassy.
1: Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West.
0: Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode and on Tuesday, we'll have an all new case for you guys to dive into.
1: Again, big thank you to Stacy for recommending this case. Please make sure you share it because there is still a chance for justice for Carla's family. And if you guys have a case that you want told on the show, we have a list of a few hundred but, you know, we always try to go by the month or the season that it is where it takes place. So,
0: yeah, and we're just, we're just working through a long list of those.
1: Yes, we are. But, so please if you have one that you want us to cover please send it in anyway to our email goingwestpodcast at gmail.com that is the best place where we will definitely see it so thank you everybody who has sent some over like he said we are very much working through a long long list but we appreciate every suggestion
0: and if you'd like to share Carlos missing persons poster we're going to post it all over our socials and you guys know what those are and also if you want to see photos from this case and every other case that we've covered thus far